This morning we want to look at building godly homes, building godly homes. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 22 verse 6 is train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. Now that is a wise saying or a proverb. I want us to look this morning to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. If you have your Bibles with you, open them with me. To Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Here we find some more wise sayings and wise words here from Solomon. So remember now your creator in the days of youth before the difficult days come. And the old King James says evil there. Difficult or evil days come. And the years draw nigh when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. While the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are not darkened and the clouds do not return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble and strong men bow down. When the grinders cease because they are few and those that look through the windows grow dim. When the doors are shut in the streets and the sound of grinding is low, when one rises up the sound of a bird and all the daughters of music are brought low, also they are afraid of heights and the terrors in the way when the almond tree blooms and grasshoppers are burdened, desire fails, for a man goes to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets. So remember your Creator before the silk cord is loosened, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the well. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was. And the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, all is vanity. What was the wise man saying here? He said, remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth before these difficult or evil days come when there'll be no pleasure in them. He talks about things that happen to all of us as we age. As we get older, these things will happen to us should we live long enough. He mentions the almond tree blooming. It blooms white. Guess what happens to our hair as we age unless we get some things to, to uh, take care of it if you happen to have hair, okay? That being the case, he mentions the almond tree blooming. He also mentions the grinders becoming few. That's your teeth. I was having one of my grandchildren in my lap the other day, and he was pointing in my mouth and says, What's this? I said, That's dental work. That's what happens as we age, right? It happens as we age. He mentions the sound of grinding being low. Have a problem hearing things. Say what? Say what? I, I, I missed what you said. Say what? Okay. He also mentions strong men bowing down. We now know that we lose calcium as we age. After 40 years old, if between 40 and 80, you'll lose about one inch of your height. You will actually start bending over and your backbone is shrinking and, and, and collapsing because of lack of calcium. So strong men bow down, it says. He also mentions the eyesight, not be able to see out the window. And so we have to wear our glasses or or we have to wear, also maybe have cataract surgery or something. What does the doctor say? You better not drive at night because your eyesight is getting bad. These are things that happen to us as we age. He also means, uh, mentions uh, fear of heights. Uh, Brother Don, a few years before um, Brother James Watkins passed away, he did a gospel meeting at our church. And he was very elderly at that time. And as he was coming to up, he was holding on to the wall because of his feeble health. As we age, we learn we do not need to climb an apple tree. 
As we age, we learn not to get up and work on those gutters because we might break a hip, we might fall. So he mentions fear of heights. And he also mentions the keepers of the house trembling. The keepers of the house are your hands, your hands. These hands that can open that pickle jar when nobody else can. I was with a dear friend from Adamsville, Alabama recently, and he was trying to write something and his hand was shaking so bad it was embarrassing him as he was trying to write these same hands that used to be able to open a pickle jar. Now he couldn't keep them still. My heart was going out to him. What did he say? He said, he pointed out there's no pleasure in these times. It's no fun. It's no fun not to be able to see at night. It's no fun to have your back hurting. It's no fun for these things to happen. So remember now, thy creator in the days I use, while you can still see, while you can still drive, while you still have your health, remember now, thy creator in the days I use. Picture this in your mind's eye, if you would. Picture this little baby boy that's born to a family here at church. And he's brought to church for the first time. He's wrapped in a little blue blanket. And we go up to him, we do baby talk. I don't know why. We do gag gag goo goo to the baby. Okay, we do gag gag goo goo to the baby. And the baby grows up in church and he's in Sunday school class. He's in vacation Bible school and somewhere around age 12. He walks up the aisle and says he wants to become a New Testament Christian. He says he understands what sin is. He knows the difference between right and wrong. And after talking with the preacher, the elders, they, uh, they agree. And he's carried back to the baptistry and he's he confesses Jesus before the audience. He's buried with the Lord in baptism, rising up to be a new creature. And the Lord adds him to the church. And this young boy is coming to church and he is waiting on the Lord's table some. And he's doing various things at church. But something strange happens about age 16. Around age 16, something strange happens. He has car keys, and while the Lord's Supper is being offered, while the Lord's Supper is being offered, he's playing on his phone or texting people and not paying attention. His mind is somewhere else. And now he falls in love with this young lady who's not a Christian, has no religion at all. And before long, there's a wedding in the church building, and they say, I do, and they go out the door, and we throw rice or bird seed or whatever. And in this new home, the Word of God is not found. Now, I'm not saying they do not have a Bible in this new home. I'm saying they do not study the Bible in this new home. In this new home, Sunday morning does not mean worshiping God. It means resting so you'll be ready to go to work, week, or go to work Monday. Or going to the bath show or go, going to something downtown. It does not mean worshiping God. But then a little baby's born in this home. A little baby's born in this home. But do not worry because this little baby gets to come to church once a year at Mother's Day. They bring the baby to church so he can sit with Grandma at Mother's Day. Now, I'm not talking about anybody from my hometown, Holland to the suburb of Sulacaga, Alabama. I'm not talking about anybody at my church or anybody here, but you know people who grew up in the church. You know children that grew up in the church. And you know many of them are not worshiping God anywhere this morning. That should scare us to death as we talk about building godly homes. We do a very poor job of keeping our own. Three indicators tell us that. First indicator, statistics. 
Now, there's all kinds of statistics proving anything, and I'm very much aware of that. But the set I like the most points out that we're keeping about one, about 35% of our boys and girls faithful to Lord's Church 10 years after high school graduation. And I think that's fairly accurate, some a little higher and some a little lower. But 35% means one out of three. That means you line them up against the wall and say, you're in, two out, you're in. You're t-. That's unacceptable. By the way, if they only come to church with one parent... With one parent, for some reason, they almost always take after the parent they did not come to church with. We're keeping 15% of those who come to church with one parent. That should scare us to death. We do a better job in the mission fields many times than we do inside of our own church buildings. There's a book that was out several years ago called Already Gone written by Ken Ham and two other people. He does a study on why people leave the church and why they're no, not faithful any longer. Now, he did not look at just the Lord's church. He looked at Christianity in general. But he did include some of the members of the Lord's church in his study. And most of us think that, well, they left the church because they went off to college. And certainly there's some colleges, including some Christian colleges I wouldn't recommend. So, uh, yes, that has something to do with it. Maybe they got a job. They, they, why, why did they leave the church after they left home? So he was studying that, and he, he wanted to find out, when did you decide that God's Word was not the authority? When did you decide that it doesn't matter what God's Word says? Do you know what he found out? Elementary school. Not teenagers. Elementary is when. So what was the point? His book's called Already Gone. He says, you think you have them because they're sitting in church with you. They have to. They don't have their own car. They have nowhere else to go. They have to ride in the back seat. So you think you have them, but their mind left the church, their mind left God many years before, and they're just riding around with you, waiting until they get some of these car keys where they can shake their car keys, and when they get those car keys or move out of the house, they're gone, but what you didn't know is they were gone a long time before. Secondly, when statistics tell us we have a problem, secondly, personal observation. I'm blessed to be able to travel and go many places, as Don does, and one thing I see is the aging church. Another thing I happen to see is many of the congregations I visit do not even have Sunday school anymore. Do you know why? They don't have a use. They have empty rooms. They have a whole hallway with nobody in it. They say, bring your old couches and your old TV sets and stick them in there. You might as well. We don't have anybody here. Third is personal testimony. Preached at Mississippi just recently, and I asked for said, your numbers are wrong, your statistics are wrong. I said, they're not, in, they're not inspired. They very well might be. She said, I'm zero out of three. She said, I have three teenagers, and I can't get a one of them to come to church with me anymore. She said, I'm zero out of three. She said, please pray for me. Now, it affects the whole church for three reasons, too. It affects the whole church, first of all, because children can open doors that you and I cannot open. What did Jesus say? Suffer the little children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Suffer the little children. Children in their innocence and their kindness and tenderness, they can open doors that you and I cannot open. I'm very blessed to have grown up in a family that were Christians, third or fourth generation Christians, and uh, my wife's family is very similar. Franklin Camp was in my wife's family. 
The only exception to that was my father-in-law, Brenda's daddy, my wife's dad. He was a long-haul truck driver. He drove for Avondale Mills, a textile company, back in the days when we had textiles in the United States. And he drove for them, and he on Sunday, if he happened to be home, he put on his cowboy boots and his big belt buckle, and he went fishing, or he went up in his deer stand, because he said, you know, a man, a truck driving man has got to be a man, and that's not church. But I'll say this, he was the largest financial contributor to our church. He, sent, he made a lot of money. He's a long-haul driver. He sent the check. He sent his wife and the kids. And of course, I married one of those kids. He sent them to church, but he had to go do things. We were living in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. As Don mentioned, I would work for the Boy Scouts of America before they went crazy. And uh, I moved back home. And one of the reasons was to try to get my father-in-law to obey the gospel. But as I, we were inviting him to church, no, no. We were trying to do a Bible study with him. No, no. He said, you're a son-in-law. And he said that like it was a dirty word. Okay, you're a son-in-law. I'm not studying the Bible with my son-in-law. Do you know what I did? I turned to my youngest son, Bradley, who was about this high then. I said, Bradley, would you help me with Papa? And Bradley would pick up the phone on Sunday mornings. And he said, Papa, will you come to church with me? Paul Paul said, I've got the silver rod hooked up to the bass boat and I'm getting ready to go fishing. Bradley said, if you'll come to church and sit with me, I'll go fishing with you after church. Paul came to church. Do you see what children can do? You, you look and see what a little child can do and put, take his finger. Come on, Papa. Come on, Grandma. Come on, Mama. Come on, Daddy. Come on. Come on. Children can open doors. Children can invite people to vacation Bible school. Children can promote gospel meetings. Children can open doors that you and I cannot open. Secondly, they have many years of service they can give to God. Many years of service they can give to God. If they're, look at all the young people we have here today. What do they have ahead of them? They have 50, 75, 100 years ahead of them. I know there are accidents that happen sometimes, but generally speaking, look how, they, how much service these boys and girls can give to the church. They can give to God all the years they have ahead of them. Now, if you are 80 today, you cannot give your 70s to Jesus Christ unless you already have. They're gone. If you're 50 today, you can't give your 40s to Jesus Christ. They're already gone unless you have. You cannot give that which you no longer have. And look at the youth. Look at the possibilities they happen to have. I was, when you're thinking about that, I won't go back to my father-in-law and want some th something I didn't tell you. Why the urgency? Why would I give up that career and come back home? What was the urgency? He was, remember, a long-haul truck driver. He had a CDL health checkup. And they found out he had cancer stage four. And the doctor said he has 18 months maybe with treatment. So they said, eight, we said 18, 17, 16, we're sweating, we sell our house, we move home, and we're trying to work with my father-in-law. And I'm proud to tell you, one Sunday night, while he was sitting with Bradley, he walked up the aisle and said he wanted to become a Christian. We watched as he was baptized. He came up out of the water and said, I should have done this a long time ago. We're like, amen, you should have done this a long time ago. He would come to church. 
but he'd get sick a lot of times and have to leave the building from all the meds he was taking because of the cancer. I remember one time he led prayer. And I'm so thankful he obeyed God. So thankful, more than you will ever know. But here's my point. If you think he was going to be the next song leader at our church, you don't understand his situation. If you think he was going to be an elder one time at our church, you didn't understand his health and his situation. If you think he's going to be a Bible school teacher, if you think he's going to be a church worker, you did not understand his health and his situation. He was barely alive. I'm so thankful he obeyed God. But you're not going to find your next church leaders in the nursing home or the retirement home. Oh, we need to go there. We need to teach. We need to baptize. I baptized somebody in the hospital just a while back and had to get the whirlpool and all these uh, approvals from everybody and his brother because of all the situations there. And, but that is not where you're going to find your next church leaders. They're sitting right here beside you. And that's why we better pay attention to them. Thirdly, it affects the whole church. Yes, they're the church of tomorrow, but they're also the church of today. It was great to see some of the young men reading Scripture and waiting on the Lord's table today, too. But we have better prepare them for some of the things coming down that they're going to be facing. I thought years ago we had settled the issue over instrumental music, but it keeps popping back up again. I thought we'd settle the issues over women's role in church and various things that keep popping back up again. We had better teach those who are young because they're going to get hit with a freight train coming down the track right in front of them. So what we need to do, summarize building godly homes, two key things here. One is our instruction. Secondly, our inconsistencies. Talk just a minute about instruction, a little bit more about inconsistencies. Instruction, we need to emphasize teaching those who are young. And I love your new building you have. There's such a blessing here. I saw the pictures of the fellowship hall. And you have the ability to have classrooms and your interest, your involvement. God bless you for your interest and involvement in youth. But I'm telling you, that's not the case in many places. Uh, many times it's, hey, uh, just take, take the kids and take them over here somewhere and give them a crayon and let them play somewhere. Just keep them quiet and keep them out of the door torum and don't bother us. But on the other hand, in that adult class. In that adult class, we want somebody who has a Ph.D. We want him to know Greek and Hebrew. We want the best teacher in the world in that senior adult class. Do you know why? A senior adult class, they're probably going to start doing drugs. They may start living together, shacking up in that senior adult class. There's no telling what they're going to do in that senior adult class. But with the little kiddies, just give them some crayons and tell, keep them quiet and keep them out of here. That is what many churches do. They've got the emphasis on the wrong end. They got the emphasis on the wrong end. And we pay the consequences. Now to inconsistencies. What's an inconsistency? The inconsistency is if I preach one way and live differently. An inconsistency is if you, as a parent... Talk one way, but live differently, and don't think the little ones don't know that. Somebody said a teenager can spot a hypocrite a mile away. That's an exaggeration, but they're not paying attention to what you say. They're watching what you do instead. Three areas were inconsistent. We could talk about it all day, but we'd run out of time. Let's talk about three where inconsistent be finished. 
We're inconsistent when it comes to worshiping God. And, and I am impressed with your attendance here. I'm impressed with the fact that I heard your Sunday night attendance and Bible study attendance is great. I congratulate you. I'm just totally impressed with, it, with, your, with your attendance. Hebrews 10, 25, forsake not the assembly of saints like as the custom of some is. And of course, we come together on the first day of the week, Acts chapter 20, verse 7, to break bread as we just did. And on the way home, little Johnny says, well, Daddy, if it's so great coming to church, why don't we come more? Hmm, interesting question. If it's so great that for us coming to church, why don't we come more? I, I live in central Alabama. It was a seven-hour drive up here this morning, okay? So I live in central Alabama. That being said, it doesn't snow much in central Alabama. You get some. It doesn't snow much, okay? I remember as a little child one Sunday morning when Daddy came in and said, Put on your church clothes. Put on your church clothes. Get ready to go to church. I said, Daddy, it snowed last night. He said, Where? Right outside on that bush. Look on that bush. Right there, there's some snowflakes on that bush. It snowed last night. He says, put on your church clothes, we're going to church. I said, Daddy, the weatherman, he said we'd be sliding around killing people all the way to church. And the weatherman said we better stay home and watch cartoons today. And that's, that's what he thought would be wise today. He said, put on your church clothes, we're going to church. You know what that is? That's a memory. Mama, Daddy, what kind of memories are you making for your children? Like when you're, it's pouring down rain and you come in the church and ladies, it doesn't matter what your hairdo used to be because your hair's all stuck to your heads and little kids looking at you and laughing and pointing, okay. Those are memories. Or the night when it came a hailstorm in our church on Wednesday night Bible study. We all stood at the door and watched as it beat our cars up, knocked the windshield out of my Honda Accord. Now we know who was there on Wednesday night. Their cars are beat up. The cars that are not beat up were not there on Wednesday night. We, see, these are memories. I know what you're thinking. Boy, you're rough on these parents, rough on these parents. And you're smiling because you think, okay, it doesn't affect me. I don't have any children here. It doesn't affect me. Yes, it does. Here's why. We have a signed seating in the Lord's church. I don't know if anybody knows that or not. We do. Everybody knows right where you sit. And Don, I won't mention the church, but in Houston, Texas, I'll give the town. Somebody probably has a relative there. I was there, and my wife was with me. I'm there between Bible class and worship. I'm walking around shaking hands, and some gentleman comes up. She's sitting in the pew and comes up and stares at her, and stares at her, and stares at her. And he finally says, ma'am, would you mind moving? This is our family pew here. Afterwards, I told the church leadership, you have visitor parking, you come in the building, they tell us to leave. I don't understand. Do we have, we need to have visitor seating, I guess, or something. But you get my point. The little boys and girls know where you sit. Now, you might be sick, you might be working at the hospital. I understand those things, and they do too. But if you're going to the bass show, the gun show, and the football game, and everything else on Sunday, they can't wait till they get some car keys, because when they get some car keys, they're gone just like you are. Your example. Your example when it comes to worshiping God. Secondly, your example in asking for forgiveness. When we, uh, and, and, and in dealing with others, and dealing with other brothers and sisters in Christ, too. On the Sermon on the Mount... And uh, when you're looking at the Beatitudes, pious the Beatitudes, you come to the model prayer, chapter 6. And we can all quote the model prayer pro properly, uh, probably. But what does it also point out? 
Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So what do we have? We got a man over here on this side of the building. He's mad at a man on that side of the building. Now he doesn't know why. This man's papa told him that that man's papa did something to somebody. Okay. So all during church, keep an eye on him now. Keep one eye on that guy a whole time. And, and the lady on this side of the building says, anybody know, should know that lady shouldn't wear that color dress and and by the way, the preacher from Alabama couldn't understand a thing he said, and, and we didn't sing enough verses to the song, and you don't like the elders, and you don't like the preacher, and it was too hot in here, or it was too cold in here. That's what we say on the way home from church. Sitting in the car, driving home, you criticize everybody at church, and you talk about them, and you say, you know, I don't like so-and-so, and did you see they were here today? You know what you just did? You gave your children permission to leave the church. You said it's okay to leave the church. You said you don't like them anyway. So you said you might as well leave. Now you can talk about me. I don't really care. I'm used to it. I'm used to criticism. But don't talk about my wife. Don't pick on my wife, my bride. What's the bride of Jesus Christ, the church? Be real careful when you're running around slamming the church, especially in front of your children. Especially in front of your children. And last, we're inconsistent when it comes to praying. James said, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God that gives liberally to all men and upbraids not. I don't know about you, I need wisdom. I pray for wisdom. Pray without ceasing. And we cannot even comprehend the prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane before He went to the cross. We, we can't comprehend that. We need to be praying for the prodigals who wandered away that they come back home. We need to pray, pray for the church leaders. Pray for the Sunday school teachers. And you, your congregation is about the same size as my congregation. I can shut my eyes and go person by person in assigned seating and go around the room in my mind praying for them. We need to be praying for each other. So let's wrap the lesson up. You say, well, we're just an average Christian family. Do you know what that means? One out of three. It means if you want to have some children sitting with you on the seat beside you or as they become adults, still Christians coming and sitting beside you, you better have a lot of children. Or we can do a better job. We can be better examples for others. And that's what we all have got to do. I have a memory of my dad. And my dad died in 95 at the age of 93. But when I was a little bitty kid, I have a memory. I was sitting in the back of a gospel meeting. Back in the days when gospel meetings went two weeks. Some of you remember those times, okay? And we didn't have air conditioning. We had the funeral home fans. And so you hear fanning with old funeral home fan and hot in there, okay? And uh, time for the invitation. The front row filled up with people responding. The second row filled up. One of those was my dad. Now, he already was a Christian. He already was serving as an elder in the church. I remember him standing before the church and saying this. 
He said, I don't have much education and I'm doing the best I can and I need the church to pray for me because I believe I'm letting them down because I don't have enough education but I'm doing the best I can. And there's a little boy sitting in the back. That's one of my fondest memories I have in my life. What kind of memories are you making for others? We'll offer the invitation song at this time to encourage you. If you're not a New Testament Christian, there's no better time to do, obey Him than today. Obey Jesus Christ. He's not just a good person. He's not just a prophet. He's the only begotten Son of God. Read the Gospel of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. That was Jesus. Nothing was made that was not made by Him and through Him. And He came to this earth and lived and died not for anything He had done wrong, but for our sins. He went to that cross. And believe in Him enough, believe in Him enough, you're willing to confess Him before man. Believe in Him enough, you're willing to change the way you're living. That's repentance. The time that's ignorance, God once winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Turn around and repent. Change the way you're living, and that's hard. So what do you do then with the old person? You bury the old person in baptism, and the water doesn't take away our sins. It's the blood of Jesus Christ, but it's doing what Jesus said to it's obeying God's what does it. And let the Lord add you to the church. If you are a New Testament Christian already today, there are people watching you. There are little eyes watching you. What kind of examples are you setting for them? If you're subject in any way, there are people here to assist you this morning. As together we stand as we sing. <laughs>